0: It happened just about once a year for me as a child. It usually happened the night before our family went to go and see Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Gentlemen, it might have happened for you the night before the big game. Ladies, it might have happened for you the night before you said, I do. It happened most recently for me the night of February 20. Because I received one of these in the mail. Do you know what that is? I was summoned to report for jury duty on February 21. And I was so excited that I couldn't sleep. Now, you may think I'm joking, but I'm serious. And as I stood in line on the morning of the 21st, Many thoughts ran through my head. I didn't have many of the traditional thoughts that I often hear from others. Thoughts that jury service was a hassle or even beneath me. But what slowly did permeate my mind was the idea that I would be a good juror. I listened well. I have an above average education. I'm really into current affairs. And I really hoped that I would be seated as a juror. And I was. Kind of. I was potential juror number five for 22 minutes. And then my dreams were crashed. I was thanked for my service to the community and then I was quickly dismissed. And I had to get up out of that chair and leave. Even though I was never filled with the pride that thought jury service was beneath me, I was filled with pride nonetheless. A sense of pride of my qualifications as a potential juror. I was there to serve, but all I can think of were my qualifications. And as I reflected upon my time as potential juror number five, I began to wonder what the differences are between judging someone and serving humbly. Humility is something that is often foreign in our society. As I was doing research for this sermon today, I came across many interesting websites. We live in a culture where online dating sites are catching on to our sense of pride. I ran across one particular site that has established as their mission to unite couples that are physically attractive and not as homely as some of our Adventist ancestors we've talked about in previous weeks. The members can rank each other, and each must maintain a certain rating to remain on the site. And the company's mission is simple. It states, attractive fit singles like you deserve an above average dating pool. And the leading online dating sites just don't meet that criteria. And so that's their niche. Now looks can be quite helpful. But aren't relationships supposed to be based on how we can love and serve one another and not how one judges another's physical appearance? Pride moves us to judge rather than to serve, says one pastor. Now, you may think that the ability to render judgment is perfect if you're a juror. But I wonder if there is a significantly different underlying principle when one judges versus when one humbly serves. In our society, pride is considered basic wisdom. Improve yourself by whatever means you are able. And it's difficult to recognize pride as a sin when it's held up on every side as a virtue, urged as profitable and rewarded as an achievement. At the deepest level, pride is a choice to exclude both God and other people from their rightful place in our hearts. But more importantly, pride destroys our capacity to love. If we're humble, we don't blame the poor for their poverty. We help them. If we're humble, we don't quickly stone those who have sinned. We plead with them and for them and we forgive them. To be humble is to say, whatever I am, whatever my merits in human eyes, my goodness compared to the goodness of Christ is nil. If we're humble, we realize that we're only fit to serve. And if we're humble, we only ask one question, how can I serve you? But having realized the dangers of pride, the sin of thinking too much of ourselves, we are suddenly in danger of another mistake, thinking too little of ourselves. Christians who belittle themselves do so, hoping to make up for the miseries of everyday life, and they dream of a life eternal in heaven. Now, please don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with dreaming of heaven. With looking forward to living with God, but isn't it part of our mission also to promote and enhance the kingdom here on earth until then? Christian faith is not a dependency, but a childlike trust. Our Lord gave us the picture of a child as a model for Christian faith, not because of a child's helplessness, but because of the child's willingness to be led, to be taught and to be blessed. Humility is a freedom to stop trying to be what we're not, or pretending to be what we're not, and accepting our appropriate smallness, as one author writes. In Luther's words, humility is a decision to be, or excuse me, to let God be God. And here's a definition of humility that I love. Humility is not denying the power you have, but admitting that the power for significance you have comes through you and not from you. Significance should not be confused with pride. The belief that we are created in God's image provides a firm basis for personal significance. If you deny the power that you've been given, you lie. If you've been given a talent for making money, then use it and be a trustee of it. If your talent is an an administration, then coordinate good things. One pastor states, I don't believe that God is giving any talent for irresponsibility. And that is what we're showing when we fail to recognize, appreciate, and use the talent that we've been given. So the question this morning is, how is it that we can live as community, attached to the vine, And live a life practicing humility as a discipline. What are some practices that we can implement in our lives of Christian humility? Can I suggest to you three things that Pastor John Ortberg shares in his book entitled, The Life You've Always Wanted? There are several practices he suggests as personal ministries on our journey. I'll share just three with you this morning. The first is the practice or the ministry of being interrupted. Or better yet, the ministry of being available. Maybe you've used these lines before. Can you hold on a sec? Or not now, kiddo. Phrases that we use too frequently in our relationships. Sometimes in our work, we must be interruptible for the tasks that we don't find on our day planners. Generally, the higher the grandiosity quotient, the greater the need to be involved in the ministry of being available, engaging in active helpfulness. The second ministry or suggestion that he states is the ministry of holding one's tongue. Perhaps the least practiced form of servanthood today is what Bonhoeffer called the ministry of holding one's tongue. He states that it must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. That's all I have to say about that. Moving on to number three. The ministry of bearing. We've been taught that we should bear one another's burdens, as found in Galatians 6. Sometimes this even means that I must bear with people until I can learn to love them. But the ministry of bearing is more than simply tolerating difficult people. It's also learning to hear God speak through them. Bearing with them does not require becoming best friends but it means that we learn to wish them well. We release our rights to hurt them back, as Pastor Dan suggested a couple of weeks ago. It's even learning that difficult people and the most difficult person that I have to deal with is often going to be me. So when we combine these practices of God-centered, other-focused living, we can begin to emulate a life of Christian humility. One of the most powerful examples we have as Christians of humility is the sacrifice that Christ showed to us through his death on Calvary. We remember and recognize God's love and humility towards us during this Easter season. As part of our practices in this faith community, during this time, we celebrate communion and the ordinance of humility, or foot washing. Where during the Passover and at the end of his earthly ministry, John accounts the following, found in John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around. Jesus, in his humility, recognized that the power and authority he had came from God. He showed us how to live and thrive. And in his dying and humility, we are invited to do the same. So this morning, please allow me to practice what I preach and be interrupted as I invite you with those that you love to celebrate your significance by humbly recognizing the significance of others. I invite you to leave here now and partake in the ordinance of humility. There are various rooms set aside for families, for gentlemen and ladies, that you can go and serve one another. Go from here and share in the practice of humility by sharing in the washing of feet of someone and sharing God's love with them today.